Hi, welcome to Exploring Illusion Free Will. My name is George Ortega, and this is like September 26th, 2014. This is episode number 170. Now, this is part of the series that we're doing on this book that I published in April this year, titled um, Free Will, Its Refutation, Societal Cost, and Role in Climate Change Denial. So we're like, you know, we're up to um, part seven of this series. All right, and we might as well get right into it. Um, So let's see. We're on page 15 of the book, and we're we're critiquing an article by um, a PhD named Meyer, who published in 2011, just like, let me reiterate, his his article was... um, published in Ethics and Medicine, um, 2011, and it's, it's titled, Is Free Will an Illusion? J.R. Mayer, I think, I believe. So, all right, so basically, let's see. So on page 15, he's referencing another um, researcher, Ellis, and he's suggesting, and all right, just before we start, like, I'll get into like the um, definitions of free will as we generally do and why this is important, perhaps um, within the context. But I just want to get right into it. I mean, it's like we've got like this pay, This book is like, let's see, 31 pages. So we're halfway through it. So this might be a 15-part series. Who knows? All right. So, um, so basically, Ellis, um, he's referencing Ellis, who says that the constituent particles at the micro level, albeit devoid of individual properties as such, are influenced by extrinsic factors that modify their native indeterminacy and give rise to quote-unquote entangled states that would allow for the emergence of free will. Now, (laughs) if you couldn't understand what that meant, I don't blame you, because it's like, it's just like a confluence of nonsense. Um, The person doesn't understand, this um, this guy Ellis, he doesn't understand um, quantum mechanics, first of all. Um, uh, Although I didn't get into um, the, the complete defense in the book, let me just do it now or the, the, the complete refutation to this assertion. Basically, he's contending that the constituent particles, particles like just, you know, at the quantum level, at the micro level, albeit devoid of individual properties, they are not devoid of individual properties. And, like, basically what he's saying, like, there's this Heisenberg uncertainty principle that prohibits us from simultaneously measuring the particle's position and momentum, now, some people like Alice quite, you know, mysteriously, really, because it, it, this isn't com- complicated. They, they conclude that since we can't measure these, these attributes of the particle simultaneously, they can't have them simultaneously. The, the absurdity of that absurd uh, assertion, I think, can be seen by, like, let's say you've got a coin on a table, right? And you can only see it's like the heads is up, right? So you can only see the heads. You can't see the, the tails of it, right? And so, like, you're going to assume, well, you know, I can't see the tail, the tail and the head at the same time, so a coin cannot have a head and tail at the same time. That's, that's I think, a good example of how absurd um, that the notion that Ellis is, is presenting is. But anyway, so then, then he goes on to, like, say that 
These individual particles are influenced by extrinsic factors that modify their native indeterminacy. His second mistake. Okay, these, these particles are not indeterminate. Another misinterpretation of this Heisenberg uncertainty principle and its implications. Basically, the idea is that, like, we cannot, you know, at the same time measure the simultaneous position moment of a particle. So, like, that measurement becomes, quote-unquote, indeterminate, right? But that doesn't mean that the, the particle, in other words, and, like, what this person is, is, is asserting or claiming is that the particle is, um, is, like, basically he's trying to refute causality. He's saying that the particle isn't subject to causality, that his, the particle's behavior is just, like, Random in the strong sense of like uncaused, and that's that's like what what he means by indeterminacy. So anyway, he's saying that like extrinsic factors are influencing this this particle's native randomness, causing it giving giving rise to oh my god entangled states. This 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 I'm sorry. This, this sentence is so filled with misunderstandings and, and nonsense. So anyway, he's saying that like. That extrinsic factors are making this random, randomly, this otherwise randomly behaving particle suddenly um, become causal, and and then that then that is going to giving rise to entangled states that would allow for the emergence of free will. All right, let's let's leave the entangled states states out to begin with, or you know, right now. All right, so let's say <laughs> let's say this extrinsic factor would imbue this this particle which he says is not causal with causality i mean it is but you know so like the word the best that gets him is that so all right so like the particle is influenced by a cause and right so as soon as he proposes that he's introduced causality and once you introduce causality into an into a um, statement or um, an exploration of either particle behavior or human behavior human decision making then you've influenced a chain of cause and effects in other words like so like if if something is causing this particle to behave then something is causing whatever caused that particle to behave you know and something is causing that cause and something is causing that cause and these causes are always going back in time you know and the best way to see is like they're going back in time as can be illustrated by the states of the universe. In other words, like the state of the universe prior to the particles doing what it did caused it to do what it did. The state of the universe before that caused that state of the universe. And so like and this this chain of cause and effect spans back to before the person was born, before the planet was created, all the way to the Big Bang and who knows what happened. All right, so like so anyways that basically what I'm saying is like to introduce causality into this, into this quote unquote native indeterminacy, which is nonsense, um, that just makes the, the free will problem worse. But then he refers to entangled states, all right? Entanglement is like, it's a very mysterious phenomenon. I mean, you have a particle, right? Which is, I mean, they don't understand it, but it, it, it in no way allows for free will. Basically, you have a particle, right? And somehow you split it where like one half of the particle, because uh, they're, they're kind of like, they're, they're just like joined, you know. So one half of the particle is like at one end of the universe. You know, the universe like ex- expands 13.7 billion. I mean, it's it's very huge. And the other um, part of the particle, whatever, of this pair is in the other end of the universe. And like amazingly, according to the theory, and this has been kind of like 
generally verified, they have instantaneous, you know, faster than the speed of light communication between them. All right, so now, that's what entanglement means. That's what quantum entanglement means. There's nothing within that phenomenon that gives any leeway for free will. So what? They're communicating, you know, faster than the speed of light. That, incidentally, is allowed by relativity because relatively, <laughs> I can't talk about it because, like, I, you know, I've been working too hard. I haven't sleep, been sleeping enough. Anyway, relativity. Relativity prohibits a particle from accelerating from below the speed of light to faster than the speed of light. It doesn't, you know, because some people, you know, mistakenly conclude that nothing can go beyond the speed of light, but relatively doesn't, relativity doesn't prohibit that. It, it simply prohibits the acceleration, again, from before, the, uh, slower than the speed of light to faster. But, you know, these entangled particles could theoretically, you know, quite in keeping with, with physical law, be communicating instantaneously at a speed maybe much faster than the speed of light. Who knows? But anyway, there's nothing in that that would allow for free will. And this, this, this might take 20 episodes at the rate we're going. All right, here we go. So, but basically, like, all right, in, in the book I say basically, like, that doesn't, you know, you know, these extrinsic factors that he was um, claiming, you know, or giving, they have causes, all right? So that would, that would refute the free will. I explained that before. Okay, so now he goes to, um, he's challenging Daniel Wegner's 2002 book called, it's a, you know, classic book, um, The Illusion of Conscious Will, where he demonstrates how we don't have a conscious will, and in order to have a free will, you would have to have a conscious will. So anyway, basically, Wegner, Daniel Wegner, Great scientist. He passed away, unfortunately, uh, a couple of years ago or so. He um, he asserted that conscious will is an illusion. So so here's My, Meyer is like basically we say he's saying that some unconscious actions like heart rate and blood pressure and learning to direct thoughts away from obsessive patterns of cognition, panic attacks, and bouts of depression are voluntary mechanisms. Okay, he's, he, he's essentially claiming that these things, um, unconscious actions like heart rate, can actually be, con- be controlled with our conscious mind. They can't, and I won't get into... I might as well get... Nah, should I? Um, yeah, I, I think I will. All right. <laughs> very, very briefly, okay. The reason these um, heart rate, blood pressure, learning to direct thoughts from obsessive thought patterns, whatever we do consciously, the reason... It's not decided at the conscious level is as follows. All right, in order to decide something, our mind has to rely on a database of first principles by which to decide. We generally decide what we decide based on its rationality. Does it make sense? You know, if you have two glasses, you know, and a pitcher of water, and only one glass will hold the contents of what's in the pitcher of water you're not going to, like, pour it into the one that won't, okay? So, like, so reason, you know, constrains or is a principle by which we decide. Another principle is morality. You know, if, if we consider something to be wrong, we, we're not going to, um, to do it. We're not going to, like, take that option. So these principles, now, they reside in our unconscious. You know, like, when you make decisions, you don't have these principles in your conscious mind, you know, all the time. They're in your unconscious, you know. So anyway, so you've got the principles for decision-making in the unconscious, the other thing that you have in the unconscious, and 
the unconscious, incidentally, by definition, is that part of our mind that we are not even aware of, let alone able to control. You know, they call it the unconscious because we are not conscious of it. Our conscious mind is not aware of the unconscious. All right, so the idea is like, so like, whenever we make a decision, like um, directing thoughts away from obsessive patterns of cognition. So these patterns of cognition would be stored as memory, again, in our unconscious, because we don't, you know... Our unconscious is a storehouse of vast information. Our, our conscious mind can only focus, be aware of one, at most maybe two or three things at a time. All right? So, so basically you have the principles by which we decide residing in the unconscious and the data that these principles are going to be acting on to decide residing in the unconscious. And the unconscious, again, is completely hidden you know, from conscious you know, awareness what that tells you quite simply is that like when we make any decision like controlling panic attacks etc and all that what's happening is there are our unconscious using its principles it, its methods of deciding is sifting through the data in the unconscious okay cuz that's what the data is making the decision and then what happens is we become aware or conscious of the decision our unconscious has made so essentially all decisions, as Wegner correctly describes in his classic book, again, 2002, you know, decisions are not made by our conscious mind, they're made by our unconscious mind. So anyway, so like, um, so, but the other, you know, the, um, the refutation to, um, to Meyer's claim that I make on this book, again, it's page 15, is that like, Let's say, um, all right, regardless of how we want to describe the decision, whether it's conscious or unconscious, either prospect would be subject to causality. So in other words, there'd be a cause for the quote-unquote conscious decision, you know, as there is a cause for the unconscious decision. There's a cause, and we just explain causality. So in other words, causality would apply to these conscious and or unconscious decisions. So like, again, so that's why, um, that's why his defense of free will in that case doesn't work. All right, we're on page 16. Okay, now, oh, wait a minute. Um, all right, let's see, hold on. Um, yes, all right, so we're on 16 now. Now we're starting with, um, on page 16, Al Mealy. Now, Mealy is a philosopher, University of Florida. He's publishing a book, actually, I think this October, his first, um, his first book for the public, because these guys, these philosophers who believe in free will, they just generally public academic books for themselves, because they're only, only people on the planet that are, you know, deluded, deluded enough to, like, buy into the nonsense that they write. But anyway, like... Um, He's, he's publishing a book for the public in, in a month or so. I'm not sure I'm going to get it or not because I've seen his stuff. And, like, he writes very well, but he's clueless in terms of what understanding what he's writing. Okay, so basically what he's saying, uh, top of page 16, and so wait a minute. Uh, this is based on an article he published in 2012, and it's called... Um, Another scientific threat to free will? Question mark. And it's it's published in the the journal Monist again, 2012. So, 
All right, he's claiming that, his first claim is that, quote, scientists, neuroscientists, and others have not proved that free will is an illusion and have not provided powerful evidence for that claim. Okay, first of all, Mealy, who's a philosopher, doesn't understand that science does not deal with, quote-unquote, proof. It deals with levels of confidence, okay? So, you know, that's, that's a, an understanding. Um, and actually... <clears throat> I, I deal with that assertion in the, on the first page of my book. It says, like, I'll quote here, While science deals with levels of confidence rather than proof, I argue that science evidences the causality at the heart of determinism and refutes free will with a level of com- confidence comparable to our knowledge that the universe exists and that it is in constant motion. So, like, that's the second part of Ellie, um, Mealy's assertion, that... that um, Science has not provided powerful evidence, you know, disproving free will. My answer is like, science has not only provided, science has provided something more powerful than, than evidence to refute free will. Because like, as I explained earlier in the book, and you'd have to go to, you'd either have to get the book or go to the, the previous episodes where I explained this. Um, science, logic, reason refutes free will at a level of science and logic and reason that's more fundamental than empiricism, than empirical evidence. And what, I've, what I'm referring to is a priori knowledge. In other words, like, the, 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 um, the proof is like, for example, a priori is like self-evident, you can't refute it. You couldn't begin to like question it. In other words, like, you can't question that existence exists, okay? Reality, the universe, it exists. You can, no one could ever successfully say, no, it doesn't exist. And I don't care if you think it's a dream or whatever. Existence exists, okay? The second a priori irrefutable fact of reality is that it is in motion. If it wasn't in motion... You wouldn't be, you know, nothing would happen. Nothing would have ever happened. There would have been no planets, no suns, nothing, you know, everything would be frozen if there was a motion. So you've got two fundamental a priori facts of the universe. It exists and it's in motion. Okay, now what is motion? Motion is physically a particle being in one place in the universe at one moment in time and being in a different place in the moment at, in the universe at the next moment in time. Okay, and so like, there's an explanation for that, and that's called momentum. So, in other words, momentum causes the shift in position of the particle from one state of the universe to the next. Now, once you've introduced causality, that level of, of reasoning, that level of understanding, you know, the fundamental process of the universe change, then you can understand how causality, the, 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 um, the principle, the law that Mealy is claiming science hasn't like, um, provided evidence for, is so fundamental that it's more fundamental than empirical evidence. It's a priori. Okay, so, um, so yeah, so I, I say in truth, because science shows that causality is a priori, not only does science provide devastating evidence against free will, it does th- so through unimpeachable means. Okay, we got about eight minutes. <laughs> we've, we've got a page. We're doing good. Okay. All right, so then, then he's asking, which conception of free will... Um, empirical evidence refutes. Well, I mean, like, again, the, the empirical evidence refutes it also, because, like, you know, like, there's, in other words, like, there's never been an empirical finding that shows something is uncaused. Everything that we observe in nature is caused, and that's what refutes free will. Some people say, well, you know, radioactive decay, you know, we've never seen the cause of, like, 
when it decays, why it decays at a certain rate, whatever, you know, the half-life and all that. Well, the thing is, like, you, if you were claiming, if you'd be claiming the radioactive decay or any other kind of, like, um, scientific process doesn't have a cause, basically you're asserting that based on your ignorance. You know, it's, it's kind of as if, like, you know, like, let's say you open the door and there's somebody there you've never seen, right? And, like, you, you, you don't know how that person got there, so you're going you're gonna to, like, claim that the person didn't walk or drive there because you didn't see the person walk or drive there. So the person just got there with, for no cause, all right? Reality doesn't work that way. Reason doesn't work that way. All right, so, like, so basically, all right, so, like, now, um, the idea is it doesn't, doesn't so he's, he's basically in this, he's, um, he's, he's saying which conception of free will does, um, you know, empirical evidence would refute. Okay, some conceptions of free will say that, well, I, you know, I have free will if I make a decision, you know, because it's my decision and I'm making, making it. All right, I think empirical, I think, evidence, you know, first of all, that's, that's an absurd kind of like free will defense. In other words, like, that's like saying that a robot or a puppet has free will because if it moves its arm or, you know, does something, it did it. You know, it doesn't matter that it's on strings or like there's a hand moving it, if it did it, because that's the assertion. Some people like Mealy say, if we did it, then that's free will. No, that's not free will. That's a straw man argument for free will that doesn't address the classic debate about whether humans have free will or not. And so, all right, so anyway, um, so we're, we're, I mean, it's an absurd contention. Basically, they can't refute, they can't refute the fact that absolutely nothing is up to us, you know, which is like what the refutation of free will is about. So in order to claim free will, they changed the definition of what they mean by free will. And Kant did this. These, these guys, I mean, like, how can you do that? That's like completely unprofessional, unobjective, you know. Ah, all right. So, all right, I got five minutes. Um, so anyway, I, I like my... Um, yeah, so like noting, what I say to that is noting the a priori knowledge supersedes empirical evidence. Causality refutes any and all conceptions of free will that attribute it to humans. Humans do not have free will, regardless, whatever. Okay, so now um, now here's another. This, this next statement just kind of like demonstrates his lack of understanding of physics. You know, because basically he's saying, or physics and reason, because, like, causality is not just a physical construct. It's also a logical, rational construct. So he's saying that, um, quote, as long as the causal chain goes through the agent, the agent is the person, or whatever is deciding for the person, in an appropriate way, the agent can exercise free will. What Mealy doesn't understand, there is no, quote-unquote, appropriate way for the causal chain to go through an agent. In other words, like, he's claiming, like, let's say you have, like, um, 100 dominoes. And he's saying that, like, if there's an appropriate way for the 99th domino to tumble the 100th without it having been influenced by the tumbling of the 98 antecedent dominoes, okay? No, they're causality. I like my, my answer to this. And actually, actually I use this, um, you know, I didn't realize. I use this example in the, in the book. Okay, so, um, all right, I just explained that. So, like, basically, uh, let's see, hold on. Um, all right, so, 
So an agent can neither circumvent nor assume authorship of an action compelled upon it by antecedent causes. All right? So there is no appropriate way to interfere with a causal chain. A causal chain is like, you know, you know, an agent makes a decision, there's a cause for that decision, there's a cause for that cause. You can't, you know, you can't slide things into that. That's not the way reality works, that's not the way science works, that's not the way physics works. Okay. Now, now he's like, his next assertion is like, let's say there's a, a tie. Let's like, we want an apple or maybe we want an orange. We don't really know, you know, we're not sure. So he's saying that like, this, he refers to this as a tie-breaking mechanism. Again, we're at the bottom of page 16. He says, quote, even if some action ties are broken for us unconsciously, well before we are aware of what we, we intend to do. And there he's referring to the Libet experiments, these neurology experiments that just blow free will out of the water. Um, it certainly does not follow from this that we never make effective conscious decisions. It does follow from it. And like, again, like, basically he's saying that we decide things consciously. And I, I don't think I have to refute it again, because like, you know, basically because our, the principles by which we decide and the data that we're deciding on both reside in the unconscious. We never make any conscious decisions. And again, Daniel Wegner, 2002, The Illusion of Conscious Will, he just goes, the entire book just goes through all these kinds of like experiments, ways of illustrating in so many ways, like we think we're making conscious thoughts when we're not. Anyway, so even, but just in principle, it's in, princ- in principle, consciousness is only awareness consciousness has nothing to do with decision making consciousness is awareness of what the unconscious has decided okay okay and we've got like all right a minute and 30 seconds and i think i'm going to end here because um cuz i got to i got to see what <laughs> what comes next or whatever so all right so like all right this show is on like thursdays and i think um another day i think um Maybe Tuesday or something. I don't know. It's on twice on, on in White Plains. And we've got a Manhattan show that's on like on Wednesdays at 11. These episodes you can see on YouTube. <laughs> They're all on YouTube. They're on the Internet Archive. <laughs> if you've got iTunes, I convert them to MP3. They're up there. Um, we've got the meetup in Manhattan. Okay, there's Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. We meet at the Sony Plaza. Um between Madison and 5th, uh, between 55th and 56th Streets. That's the first Saturday of each month at 2 o'clock. And then we, we have another event in Manhattan, The Implications of No Free Will. That's an event that takes place, I don't know, if you go to meetup.com, you know, New York City, exploring the illusion of free will. It's a great meetup. That's actually, that meetup is what started this this um, this popular interest in free will in the media. I mean, between 2010, when I started that meetup, and 2012, there were about three dozen articles in major publications, Time Magazine, New York Times, Scientific American, etc., etc., often for the first time ever refuting free will. That's all we have time for. I'll see you again next time on Exploring Resume Free Will. Thanks.